0: My favorite theorem, a math podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer, uh, usually in Salt Lake City, Utah, currently in Providence, Rhode Island. And this is your other host.
1: Hi, I'm Kevin Knutson, professor of mathematics, almost always at the University of Florida these days. How's it going?
0: All right. Uh, we had hours of torrential rain last night, which is something that just doesn't happen a whole lot in Utah, but Happens a little more often in Providence. So indeed, indeed. I got to go to sleep listening to that, which always feels so cozy to be inside mm-hmm. when it's pouring outside.
1: Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's actually finally pleasant in Florida. It's really very nice today, and the sun's out. And um, although we've we've it's gotten chilly. People can't see me doing the air quotes. <laughs> it's gotten chilly. So the bugs are trying to come into the house. So the other night we were sitting there watching something on Netflix, and my wife feels this little tickle on her leg. And it was one of those big flying you know florida roaches that we have here
0: oh and
1: our our dog just stood there wagging at her like this is fun you know and why (laughs) why did you scream so
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yep. well uh we are we're happy today to invite abba to the show abba would you like to introduce yourself
2: oh hello i'm abba i'm um here in wisconsin at the university of wisconsin eau claire and I am been here teaching now for six years. Should I tell them where I'm from? Yeah. yeah sure. Okay. I am from, uh, well, I was born and raised in New York City. And I prefer never to go back there. And then I moved to San Francisco. Uh, lived there for a while. preferred never to go back there. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then I um, went up to Sonoma County to do my, some college and then moved to Iowa. And Iowa is really, really what I call home. Mm. i'm not a city guy anymore like i was definitely my home <laughs> so, okay yes yeah. so, so, so southwestern
1: wisconsin is also okay just...
2: yeah it's very just relaxing I'm, i feel like yeah. i'm in a very small town i just ride my bicycle i still don't know how to drive like all my friends from new york and san francisco but mm. i don't need a car here i there's nowhere to go oh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but can I address why you just called me Abba as I asked you to? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, because maybe I'll just put this on the record. I mean, I don't use my last name. I think the last time I actually said some version of my last name was grad school, maybe the year 2008 or something. Like 10 years ago is the last time anyone's ever heard it said. Okay. Um, and part of the issue is that it's, um, it's pronounced different depending on who's saying it uh, in my family. And actually it's spelled different depending on who's... Uh, who's in the family. Sometimes they have different letters. Sometimes there's no R. Sometimes it's, um, yeah. So in any case, if I start to say one pronunciation, I know Americans are going to go to town and say, this is the pronunciation. Mm. And that's not the case. I can't ask my dad. He's passed now. But um, it's it's he doesn't have a favorite. He's said it five different ways my whole life, like <laughs> depending on context. <laughs> so yeah. he doesn't have a preference. I'm not going to impose one. So I'm just Taba, and I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. as far as I know, you're currently the only mathematician named Abba. Oh yeah, And in it the is spelled the name oh, yeah. that you are mm-hmm. uh, yeah, math- spelled the way <laughs> yours is spelled.
2: Um, yeah, so. re- math signet. It's, it's 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 yeah. I'm the only one there. It's uh, recently someone invited me to a wedding, and they were like, "What's your address?" And I said, "I said Abba, and my address is definitely enough." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Um, what what theorem would you like to tell us about?
2: Oh, okay. Um well I was listening actually to your um a couple of shows uh recently and Holly didn't have a favorite theorem, Holly Krieger. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm exactly the same way. I don't even have a theorem of like the week. She was lucky to have that. I have a theorem of the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to talk about something I discovered um when I was um in college. That's kind of the reason. But can I briefly say some of my like top hits just because oh yeah, I, oh, yeah we, we, we have whatever. top
1: 10 lists yeah please okay
2: <laughs> okay so uh i'm in combinatorics like loosely defined but i have no re- reason i don't know why people throw me in that bubble but that's the bubble that that i've been thrown in but my my um thesis actually i don't even remember the title so i have to read it off a piece of paper but <laughs> analysis of symmetric function ideals towards a combinatorial description of the cohomology ring of hessenberg varieties oh, okay Okay, all of those words are necessary there, but my advisor said, you're in combinatorics. Essentially, (laughs) my problem was we were studying an object in algebraic geometry, uh, this thing called the Hessenberg variety. To study this thing, we used topology. We looked at the cohomology ring of this, but that was very difficult. So we looked at this graded ring uh, from the lens of commutative algebra, Mm -hmm. and I studied the algebra of this ring by looking at symmetric functions, uh, ideals of symmetric functions. And hence, that's where my advisor said, you're in combinatorics. (laughs) so it was the main tool used to study a problem in algebraic geometry that we looked at through topology whatever so i don't know what i am but in any case for top 10 hits uh not top 10 but diagram chasing love Mm. it love it
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow i i really don't share that love i'm glad somebody does love it
2: (laughs) oh it's just so fun for students too um so so like snake lemma right the snake lemma, yes, yeah. is a little bit maybe above the level of like our algebra two class that I teach here for undergrads, but of course I snug it in anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the short five lemma, mm-hmm. those are like would be my favorites if the moment was like if, like a month months ago. And number <laughs> theory, I have too many phase, but I'm going to limit it to uh, Euler-Fermat theorem. That if a and n are coprime, then a to the power of the Euler totian function of n mm-hmm. is congruent to one mod n. Mm-hmm. Um, But that leads to Gauss's epically cool awesome theorem on the existence of primitive roots. Now, this is my current craze. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And this is just looking at the group of units in z mod nz, or more simply, the multiplicative group of units of integers modulo n. When is this group cyclic? And Gauss Mm -hmm. said it's only cyclic when n is the numbers 2 or 4 or an odd prime to a k power, or twice an odd prime to some kth power. Okay. And huh. so basically, those are very few. I mean, those are very little numbers in the broad spectrum of the infinity of the natural numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just very cool. In fact, I'm t- doing a non-class right now with a, a professor who retired maybe 10 years ago from our university. And I emailed him and said, want to have fun on my like, my research day off? <laughs> and we're studying primitive roots. Just like, because I don't know anything about it. I Like my favorite things are things I know nothing about and I want to learn a lot about.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've heard that yeah. theorem no, that before. Either so,
2: either.
0: yeah, I'll have to look that up later.
2: Yes. And then the last one is from analysis. And I did hear Adriana Salerno talked about it. In fact, I think also someone before her in your podcast. But Cantor's Theorem, on Unaccountability of Real Numbers. Yeah,
0: that, that's a real classic.
2: That I just taught that. Two days ago at an analysis, and like oh, it's like waiting for the heads to explode. And I think I, I don't know my students' heads not weren't all exploding, but I was like, this is so exciting. <laughs> Why are you not feeling the excitement? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I gotta work. That was only my second time teaching analysis, so maybe I have to work on my uh, my cell. Mm. But um,
0: yeah, you'll yeah. get them next time.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but it's so cool. I even mentioned it to my class that's uh, non-math majors. Um, this for just looking at sets, basic set theory. And this is finite math class. These students hate math. They're scared of math. And I was like, you know, the infinity, you know, <laughs> it's kind of small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not going to be tested on this ever, but can I please take five minutes to, like, share something wonderful? <laughs> so I gave them the baby version of Cantor's theorem. But right. anyway, yeah, but that, that's it. I just wanted to throw those out there before um, I was um, forced to give you my uh, favorite theorem.
1: Yes. Yeah, we are yeah.
2: gonna, we are gonna so force now... you. Abba. What is what is the real favorite theorem? Yeah,
0: we've we had the prelude, so now yep. this is the main event.
2: Okay, main event time. Um, okay, so uh, you were all young once, and you remember, oh, we we're all young all the time. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but divisibility by nine. I mean, I guess when we we're in high school, maybe even before that, we know that uh, the number 108 is divisible by nine because one plus zero plus eight is uh equal to nine and that's divisible mm-hmm. by nine and 81 is divisible by nine because eight plus one is nine and nine is divisible by nine but not just that the number 1818 is divisible by nine because one plus eight plus one plus eight is 18 and that's divisible by nine. So when we add up the digits of a number and if it that that sum is divisible by nine then the, the number itself is divisible by nine and, and students know this I mean everyone yeah. kind of knows uh, that this is true. Um, I guess I was a sophomore in college um that was maybe a good four to six years after I started college because uh well, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different podcast altogether, but I made some <laughs> choices to meet friends who were made it really hard for me to go to school consistently in San Francisco. part of the reason why I'm kind of okay not going back there much anymore yep. friends got into trouble too much but um uh, I took a number theory course and i learned the proof for that and the proof was like um was it just blew my mind because it was very simple mm-hmm. um and i wasn't a full-blown math major yet i think i was in physics or i was I, I had eight majors different eight majors through the time i wasn't math person yet um and um i was on a bus going from runner park oh this is in sonoma county i went to sonoma state university as uh my fourth or fifth college um that i was trying to have a stable environment in mm-hmm. and this one worked <laughs> yeah I, gradu- I graduated from there in 2004 it definitely worked um so uh i was on a bus to visit some of my bad friends in san francisco who i love by the way i'm just saying up to bad habits mm-hmm. and uh and I was thinking about this theorem of divisibility by 9 and saying, what about divisibility by 7? How come no one talks about that? Like, we had learned divisibility by 11, like the alternating sum of the digits, mm-hmm. if that's divisible by 11, numbers was divisible by 11, but what about 7? You know, is that, like, doable, or why is it not talked about? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. So it was an hour-and-a-half bus ride, and I um, figured it out, and it was extremely, like, the same exact proof as the divisibility by 9, but boiled down to one tiny little change but it was it's not so much that um i love this theorem i actually haven't even told it to you yet but uh that that i did the proof but it it changed my life it really that's the the only thing i can go back to and say why did i why am i why am i associate professor at university in wisconsin right now Mm -hmm. it was the life-changing event um so uh let me tell you the theorem yeah (laughs) it's hardly a theorem this is why i don't know if it belongs on this show oh it
0: totally does (laughs)
2: um okay so i don't even think i had calc 3 yet when i like discovered this little theorem all right so here we go so look at it the decimal representation of some natural number call it Mm -hmm.
0: n i've got my pencil out i'm writing this down
2: oh okay yeah. oh great okay i i'm reading it off a piece of paper that i wrote down
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay you you said something about it to us earlier and i was like i'm gonna need to have this written down to like
1: oh <laughs> to, i
0: yeah i i really it's funny that i do a podcast because i i really like how looking at at things that are written down that mm-hmm. helps me a lot
1: but <laughs>
0: let's podcast this thing Yep.
2: okay so say we have an, a number with uh, k plus one digits uh, and so I'm saying K plus 1 because I want the I want to enumerate the digits as follows. The unit's digit, I'm going to call A naught. The 10s the digit, I'm going to call A a sub 1. Mm-hmm. The 100s place digit, A sub 2, et cetera, et cetera, down to the K plus first digit, what we'll call A sub K. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. read right to left, right to left, like in Hebrew, um, A naught, A1, A2, dot, 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 or slash C dots, you LaTeX mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Uh, a sub yep. K minus 1, then the last far left digit, A sub K.
0: Yeah.
2: So that is a decimal representation of a number. I mean, we're just, you know, like mm-hmm. number 1008. That would be A not is the number eight. A one is the number zero. A two is the number zero. A three is the number um, one. So we just okay. read right to left. Mm-hmm. So we can represent um, this number, and everybody knows this when you're like um, in like uh, junior math, I guess, on elementary school that we can write the number, say, 100, now I'm using a pen, 123 as 3 times 1 plus how many 10s do we have? Well, we have two tens, so 2 times 10. How many 100s do we have? Well, we have one of those, so 1 times 100.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So just talking about the, the uh, yeah, this is mathematics of the place value system in base 10. No surprise here. Um, but a nicer way to write it as, um fat sum fatty sum where i the index goes from zero to k of a sub i times 10 to the i
0: yeah
2: it's a nice just that's how how we in our little family of um math nerds <laughs> how we <laughs> compactly write that so uh when we think about when is this number divisible by seven it suffices to think about when what is the remainder when each of these summands is the is um when we divide each of these summands by Mm 7, and then add up all those remainders, and then Mm -hmm. take that modulo 7. So uh, the key and crux of this uh, argument is that what is 10 congruent to mod 7? Well, 10 10 leaves a remainder of 3 when you divide it by 7. So in the the great language of congruences, thank you, Gauss, Ten is triple equal symbol <laughs> three <laughs> mod seven. So now we can look at this. All of these tens we have. We have ten to the zero, like a not times ten to the zero plus a one times ten to the first plus a two times ten to the second, etc., cetera, et cetera. When we divide this by seven, this number really is now a not plus time, times ten to the uh, times three to the zero because I can replace my 10 to the 0 with 3 to the 0, mm-hmm. plus a1 times 3 to the 1st instead of, because 10 to the 1st is the same as 3 to the 1st in modulo 7 land, plus a2 times 3 uh, to the 2nd, etc. etc. dot, 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 to the last one, ak times 3 to the k. Here I am on the bus thinking, well, this is only cool if I know all my powers of 3. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which are, are not really
0: that much easier than than you know um, figuring it out in the first place. Okay,
2: but I, I'm I'm young mathematically and um, just really super excited. So I, one little example, I guess I, this is not the ex- I can't remember what example I did on the bus, but a thousand eight is is a number that's divisible by seven. Um, and let's just like perform this check using this check on this number. So is a thousand eight really divisible by seven? What we can do is, according to this, I take the far right digit, the units digit, and that's eight times three to the zero. So that's just the number eight. Eight times one mm-hmm. plus zero times three to the first power. Well, that's just zero, thankfully, because um. Then the next the hundreds place, it's zero times three squared. So that's just another zero. And then lastly, the thousands place, one times three cubed, and that's twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. So I add up now my numbers, 8 plus 0 plus 0 plus 27, and that's 35. And hell, <laughs> that's easy to know the divisibility of. 7 divides 35, hence 7 divides 1,008.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm traveling back in time, and this is not a mar- mar- marvelous thing, but everybody, unfortunately, who I saw in San Francisco that day and the next day um, learned this. Mm-hmm. result. <laughs> <laughs> i just had to teach all my friends because i was like well this is not what i'm doing for college but this is something i figured out on the bus this math stuff is great yeah so (laughs) just
0: just that that the fact that you got to own that
2: yeah and that also it wasn't in the book and actually it wasn't in subsequently any book i've ever looked in ever since but uh, it's still just cute i mean it's just um it's available and 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 what it did, I guess, it just touched me in a way where I guess I didn't know about research. I didn't know about a PhD program. My end goal was to get a job at the, continue at the photocopy place where that was near the college where I worked. I really told my boss that, and, and I, and I really believed I was going to do that. And our school never really sent people to graduate programs, so I was one of the first. And and I, I don't know. It's just um, it 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 just changed me. And it was um, there was a lot of troubles in my life before then, and this is something that I owned. And that's my favorite mm-hmm. theorem on that bus that day. That yeah, all well, <laughs> bus buses. It, it's theory. kind of like a, you
1: know, an origin story, though, right? There
2: go. Yes, like because I, I, yes, people ask me how are you? Why are you interested in? How'd you get interested in math? And I always say the classic thing. I forget this story, but I'm always not speaking to math people. Um, my usual thing is the rave scene. I mean, that was what I was involved in in San Francisco, and then. I don't know if you know what that is, but electronic dance music parties that happen in beaches and fields and farms. What and you don't warehouses. think we go to
0: a lot of raves? I don't know. Raves still happen.
2: <laughs> well, I was no, never bit, okay. I've not. You have definition. accurately
0: stereotyped me.
2: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> now, me uh I have to admit, my parents were worried about that, and they said ecstasy clubs, and I was like, no, mom, no, that's a, that's the that's a different rave. That's. Uh, my people are not indoors. We're outdoors, and we're not paying for stuff, and there's no bar, and there's no drinking. We're just mm-hmm. dancing, and it's daytime. Mm-hmm. It was a different thing, but that's really why I got involved in, in this math thing. And in some sense, I wanted to know how like all of that music worked, and that music was very mathematical. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, um, but then I kind of lost interest in studying the math of that because I just got involved in combinatorics and like all the beautiful theoretical math that fills my spirit and soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the origin story is a little bit rave, but mostly that bus, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: A lot of good things happen on buses.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you guys know about the art gallery theorem?
0: I I know the about...
2: Guarding the... a museum.
0: Yeah, Point. yeah. What's
2: the minimum number of guards? Okay, I okay. took the mm-hmm. seat of someone... My postdoc was at Bowdoin College. And sadly, the person who passed away shortly before I got the job was a combinatorialist named uh, Stephen Fink. Mm-hmm. I think I believe I hope I hope I'm not I get that name right uh in any case he's in the proofs from the book for coming up with a proof for that art gallery theorem the the you know the um famous proofs from the book the idea yeah. that the, all the beautiful proofs are in some book but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah guess where he came up with that told, told the chair of the math department when I started there on a bus, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> on a bus, yes. Wait. And he was somewhere in uh, uh, uh Eastern Europe, like on a bus, and like that's where he came up with it. And it's just like, yeah, things can happen on a bus, you know. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now I, I want our listeners to like write in with like the best math they've ever done on a bus or something. <laughs> just like <laughs> oh, well, a, guess, a list yeah. of bus math.
2: You also have to include trains, I think, too. Oh, though, because... yeah. Yeah, really long buses, all public transportation.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So so something that we like to do on this podcast is ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. Um, So what have you chosen to pair with your favorite theorem?
2: Oh, my gosh. I was supposed to think about that. Yes. Okay. Uh, seven. I
0: feel like you have so many interests in life. You must you must have something you can think of.
2: Oh, no, it's not a problem. I do currently a lot of mathematics. Um, I'm in my office, sadly, a lot of hours of the day. But sometimes I leave my office and go to the pub down the road. And um, I call it a pub because it's really empty and brightly lit and not populated by students. And it's kind of like a grown-up grown-up bar. But um, I do a lot of recreational math there, especially on primitive roots recently. So I think I would pair, um, pair my seven uh, theorem. With seven sips of Michelob Golden Draft Light, it's just a boring domestic beer. And then I would go across the street to the pizza place that's across from my tavern, and I would eat seven bites of a pizza with pepperoni, sausage, green pepper, and onion. Okay. Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, I have a small appetite, so seven. People would say, yes, he can probably do seven bites before he's full and (laughs) needs to take a break. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Or you could you could share it with seven friends.
2: Yes. Oh, I'm often taking students down there. I'm buying pizza for like small sections of research students or groups of seven. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um,
0: So I know you wanted to to share some other things with us on this podcast. So do you want to talk about those? Or that, um, or I, I don't know exactly what form oh. you would like to do this in.
2: Oh, um, I wrote a poem. Um, yeah, I, wanna, I guess I want to share um, a poem that I wrote that uh, maybe your listeners might find cute.
0: Yeah, and I, I'd okay. like to say, I think the first time, I don't think we actually met in person that time, but the first time I saw you was at the poetry reading at a joint math meeting Many years ago. Oh my gosh! Um,
2: I did this poem, probably.
0: It, it might have. Is... I will see. And I remember, you know, many people might have seen you because you you do stand out in a crowd. You know, you you dress in you know a lot of bright colors and you have very distinctive glasses and hair and everything. So like, I remember you were very memorable at the time. Yes. Right now it's uh, pink, pink, red, pink, yeah. and yeah, maybe just different shades of pink. Y- yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember seeing you do a poem at this, this uh joint math poetry thing and then kept seeing you at various things and then we met, you know, a few years ago when I was at Eau Claire.
2: I mm. guess oh, yes.
0: actually met in person then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go ahead, please share your poem with us.
2: Okay. Um this is part of the origin story again. I was uh this is shortly after the seventh thing from the bus. I was introduced to a proof's class and they were teaching bijectives, functions and uh and I really didn't get the book. It was written by one of my teachers. And I was like, you know, I, I wrote a poem <laughs> about it. And I think I understand my poem a little bit more than what you wrote in your book. <laughs> and I, they actually sing the song now. Well, so they, they recite it, so say, the teachers at Sonoma State, each year to uh, the students who are taking the same course. Mm. Um, but here it is. I think it's sometimes called a rap because I, like, you know, kind of dance around the room when I sing it. So-called. So it's called the Bijection Function Poem. Uh, and here we go. Are you ready? Yeah, yes. Let's hear it. All right. <laughs> and it clearly follows that the function is bijective. Let's take a closer look and make this more objective. It bears a certain quality, that which we call injective, a loving love affair, indeed a one-to-one perspective. Injection is the stuff that bonds one range to one domain. For Mr. X in the domain, only Miss Y can take his name. But if some other domain fool to try to get Miss Y's affection, the horizontal line police are here to check for one-to-one injection. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a little racy. But observe, <laughs> though, that injection does not alone grant one bijection. A function of this kind must bear injection and surjection. Surjection, what is that? Another math word gone surreal? It's just a simple concept we call onto. Here's the deal. If for every lady Y who walks the co-domain of F, there exists at least one X in the domain who fancies her as his sweet best, so here the song that onto sings, a simple mathful melody, there ain't a Y in codomain not imaged by some X you see. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, two conditions that define a quality. If it's injective and surjective, then it's bijective, by golly. So this is the last verse. Okay. And there's some homework problems in my last verse, actually. All right. Um, <laughs> Good. Something for us to do. So now if you're paying close attention to my math poetic verse... I reckon that you've noticed implications of inverse. Inverse functions blow the same tune. They biject oh so happily. By sheer existence, inverse functions mimic onto qualities. Homework problem one. <laughs> and per uniqueness of solution, another inverse golden rule. Homework problem two. By gosh, that's one to one and onto straight up out the biject school. Word. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I never tire that one. That one, yeah, I love teaching a proofs class. <laughs> yeah,
0: and you said you, you use this in your class every time you teach it? Every time
2: I have to say a bijection, I just, like, yeah. I mean, the song works, though. Mm-hmm. My only drawback, like, in recent times is, like, my wording long ago for um, Mr. X in the domain and Miss Y can take his name and the whole, like, binary that this thing is doing. So I, mm-hmm. I do have, like, versions uh like, a, well, sorry, homosexual version. I have a this version. This is the hetero version. Then mm-hmm. I have the yet-to-be-written um, binary-free version, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know how to make that because I was thinking for Ms. person X in the domain, only person Y can take his name. But, you know, person doesn't work. It's too long syla- syllabically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... <laughs> i'm working on that one really. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah well yeah modernize it for uh for the times we live in now
2: yes yes i i kind of dread reading something reciting this uh this purely hetero version you know because yeah and also there's not necessarily only one uh miss y that can take mr x's name i mean you know there's whole different relation groups these days so yeah yeah but but I'm talking, I guess, like about the injective and subjective ones. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, yeah. the polyamorous functions are a whole different thing. <laughs> right.
1: those, are, those are just relations. Those aren't functions. Right? That's, that's the whole thing. Yes.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Relations yeah. aren't necessarily functions, but certain ones just get to be called that. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Is yeah, this great. Is there anything else you would like to share? I mean, we often... Uh, give our guests ways to find, or or, sorry, give our listeners ways to find our guests online. Um, So if there's Um, anything, you know, a website or anything you'd like to share.
2: Can you just link my webpage or should I just tell you it? I mean, I I, like reciting it is actually Googling ABBA UWC math. That's all it takes. My school UWC ABBA math. Whenever students can't find our course notes, I just like they're like, What's our course web page again? I was like, I don't know. Google ABA UWC Math. <laughs> yeah. You have no, there's no way you cannot find our course notes. <laughs> if you remember the name of your school, what you're studying, and my name.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, well um, and we'll put
0: a link to that also oh, yeah. in the show notes for people.
2: Yeah. One B and ABA for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, that's right. We didn't actually I said it was the only one spelled that way, but we didn't spell mm-hmm. it. It's A B A and you capitalize the, the middle. The middle yeah. and not the first letter, right?
2: No, yeah, it's that's fine. It looks more symmetric that way. Yeah. Um, you would even reverse
0: one of them. Get Max I
2: usually Anthony write out. the B backwards. I always oh. do that, like the band. But I can't um, do that usually. So I yeah. don't want to be overkill uh, to, <laughs> to, my, uh, to the people that I work around. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so at the bottom of my webpage, I have links to videos of me singing to various songs to students from... Um, Complex analysis wraps, PhD level down to undergraduate level. Just different wraps that I wrote for funds, yeah. um, and I wanted to plug one thing at JMM this. Um, I mean, not that it's hard to find it in a program, but I, I'm an MAA invited speaker this uh, time, and I'm actually uh, um, scared poopless a little bit to speak <laughs> in one of those one of those large rooms. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I got invited, but uh, I I said yes, and um well, of course you said and yes. Top, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to share yeah. uh, the two research projects that I've been doing with students uh, because I like doing research just for the sheer joy of it and I think mm-hmm. the topic of my talk is um, research project birthed out of curiosity and joy or something like that because mm-hmm. I, I am one of the projects I'm sharing wasn't even a paid research project I just as a student that got really excited to um, study something I noticed in Pascal's triangle and this uh, um, Try diagonal real symmetric matrices. I mean, she's just like it was finals week and I was like you want to have fun and we spent the next uh, Year and a half having fun and now she's pursuing graduate school and it's great. It's great Um, Research for fun, but uh, one thing I'm talking about that I'm really excited about is the Fibonacci sequence Um, And I know that's kind of overplayed uh, times but uh, I find it beautiful. And we're looking at the sequence modulo 10. So we're just looking at the last, the units digits. Yeah,
0: last digits, yeah.
2: And uh, whenever you take the sequence mod anything, it's going to repeat. And that's an easy proof to do. And actually, Lagrange knew that long, long ago. Um, But recently, in 1960, a a paper came out studying these... uh, Fibonacci sequences modulo some some natural number and prove the periodicity bit and prove the, there's tons of papers in the Fibonacci quarterly related to this thing but what i'm looking at in particular is its connection to astrology um which actually might clear the room i'm hoping not but um <laughs> <laughs> the sequence has a length of period 60 so um if you lay that in a circle it repeats and every 15th value it's the Fibonacci number ends in zero. And that's something you can see with the sequence, but a lot easier to see when you're just looking at it mod 10. Um, and that's something Polly Both he didn't know now. Every 15th Fibonacci number ends in zero.
1: No, I didn't know that. Hmm. And, yeah. if it
2: end, and if it ends in zero, it's a 15th Fibonacci number in some way. That's an <laughs> if and only if. Mm-hmm. And every fifth Fibonacci number is a multiple of five. So in astrology, we have the cardinal signs, uh, Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn, mm-hmm. and you and you lay those on the zeros. Um, those are the zeros, and then the uh, the fixed and mutable, the mutable and sorry, the fixed and mutable signs, uh, like Taurus, Gemini, et cetera, et cetera. As you move after the after the birth of the uh, astrological seasons those ones lay on the fives and then you can look at aspects between them actually i'm not going to say much astrology by the way in this talk so <laughs> people people who are listening please still come it's only math <laughs> but i'm going to be looking at subsequences. but it got, insp- I got inspired by some videos online that i saw by um a certain astrologer and i there was no mathematics in the videos and i was like whoa i can fill these gaps um and it's just, it's just beautiful. Certain subsequences in this Fibonacci sequence mod 10 give the Lucas sequence mm. mod 10, the Lucas sequence. And I don't know if your listeners know, or you guys know what the Lucas sequence is, but it's the Fibonacci sequence, um, but starting values is two, then one. Right. Instead of zero and right. one. yeah. And uh, Edward Lucas is the person actually who named the Fibonacci sequence. The Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> so this is a big player, and I I'm really excited to to introduce people to like these beautiful subsequences that exist in this um, in this Fibonacci sequence mod ten. It's like just so sublime so wonderful cool yeah
0: I, I guess i had never thought about last digits of fibonacci numbers before but yeah i oh. hope to see that and we'll we'll put some information about that in the show notes too oh,
2: okay um,
0: yeah have a good rest of your day
2: all right you yeah. too both of you thank you so much for this invitation and i yeah
1: just happy to be invited
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah we really enjoyed it
1: thanks Adam. all right okay bye-bye Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knutson and Evelyn Wang. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knutson, Del Mitchell, and Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknutson.com and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network love to hear from our listeners so please drop us a line at my theorem at gmail.com or you can find us on facebook and twitter kevin's handle on twitter is at nivik that's kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards and evelyn's is at evelyn j lamb the show itself also has a twitter feed the handle is m-y-f-a-v-e-t-h-m that's at my favorite theorem join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics Thank <laughs> you.